Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you news this week from the United States, Brazil, Argentina, Finland, Indonesia, Pakistan, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead right-winger from the United States. Going to start out with the United States. Former President Donald Trump has admitted, on record, that January 6th, his attempted coup was an insurrection. He said that openly. This is in contradiction to the defenses that his lawyers have been giving in many of his various cases, which state that, you know, this wasn't an insurrection, it was just a riot, you know, that's their claim. Trump has admitted that this was an insurrection, but he says that he didn't do it and that it wasn't his responsibility, that instead it was caused by, uh, drumroll please, Nancy Pelosi. Yes, that's right. The sitting Speaker of the House at the time of Donald Trump's attempted coup tried to get herself and other members of Congress kidnapped and killed in order to keep Donald Trump in the presidency. That's Donald Trump's claim. Obviously, this is bullshit, but that doesn't matter because the point of it is to spread misinformation and sow uncertainty amongst the United States population. In further Donald Trump news, a trial date has been set for his criminal trial in New York. This could be in March, and this really messes around with the primary timeline, you know, the, the, the Republican primary election timeline. It means that Donald Trump could be facing criminal charges while he is trying to seek the Republican nomination. And by criminal charges, I mean like criminal charges, you know. He has been under investigation. He's been appearing in various things. But like, hey, like he might like be charged with something that a person could conceivably go to jail for, you know. In further U.S. news, the Democrats have won a special election in New York. This is the seat formerly held by George Santos, you know, the, the charlatan guy who got ousted because it turned out that he was lying about literally everything on his resume. However, the Democrats have won by tacking right on immigration and, quote-unquote, the border crisis, which, of course, will never have any consequences for people living now or in the future, or for any possibility of the Democrats holding any kind of real center-left coalition and will not affect how the Democrats govern or prevent their, you know, hopeful majority from ever having any teeth because they can't actually do any of the things that the Democrats claim that they want because the people who are Democrats are actually just right-wingers in disguise. Moving on to Brazil, this news is mostly about former President Jair Bolsonaro. There is now just a video, like, like the news media just has a video of Bolsonaro meeting with his generals planning a coup. Uh... The Brazilian government is using this to put him in jail. Like, they are they are not fucking around. <laughs> Bolsonaro is very, very likely to end up in prison for attempting to stage a coup, which, like, hey, you know, that's what should happen if you attempt to stage a coup in your country. Y y yeah, like, this uh, seems pretty reasonable to me. Former allies of the president, including former military generals, uh, evangelical leaders, evangelicalism is deeply connected to the right wing in Brazil, much like it is in the United States. These people are trying to distance themselves from Bolsonaro as the net titans. One of them even tried to flee to the United States, but had to return because, you know, that really wasn't going to work under a Biden presidency. He returned to Brazil and was immediately arrested in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil. 
Moving on to Argentina, this again is focusing on the president of Argentina. And the reason that I'm organizing the news like this is that, you know, this is how people are understanding these people, but you have to think about them as examples of a system of power, right? If it wasn't Bolsonaro, it could have been somebody else, right? If it wasn't Millet, it could have been somebody else. Millet's omnibus executive order, uh, DNU, as it is known in Argentina, uh, has failed in the Argentine electoral legislative system. This means that Millet is going to need to try to get it pushed through in some other way, and this might be potentially kind of hard for him. He might need to move piecemeal to get the things that he wants passed in Argentine politics. In other news, he met with the Pope, who teased him about his hair, and also assumed that his sister was his wife. Millet has also eliminated subsidies for children's lunch, among other things, meaning that, yes, in Argentina, the right wing is literally like literally stealing kids' lunch money. In Finland, the center-right has won the presidency. This man's name is Alexander Stubb. He was previously the prime minister of Finland. His intention is to turn his coalition to face Russian aggression in the region. Uh, This is a somewhat complicated case. You know, being a center-right person doesn't necessarily make you a fascist, but it does complicate things because it means that that it's the right wing being presented as the reason that we need to fight Putin. In Poland, the new center-left government has turned again on immigration. They've said that the problem facing Poland is that so many people who aren't Polish are living there, which is a big disappointment for anybody who thought that new Prime Minister Tusk was going to be a better leader of Poland than the previous right-wing party, the Freedom and Justice Party that had run Poland for several years prior. Moving on to Indonesia. Indonesia, which is one of the biggest and most populous countries in the world, but is often ignored by the West, has recently held an election. There were some allegations of interference from the current government of Indonesia, and while the formal count of the election has yet to be decided, it's pretty clear who the victor is. This person is probably Prabowo Subianto, a former general, current defense minister, and somebody who is guilty of various human rights violations during the Indonesian dictatorship of the mid-20th century. That military dictatorship killed somewhere around a million people between communist organizers and ethnic Chinese people who were identified with the Communist Party because of their sort of historical social position, which is somewhat roughly similar to Jewish people in Eastern Europe in Indonesia, and also because of the influences of the Chinese Communist Party, despite the fact that these people were, you know, primarily occupied as, you know, petit bourgeois, like, you know, small business owners and stuff. Subianto is so guilty of human rights violations during this military dictatorship, and also into the 90s when he held various other government positions, that he was actually removed from the Indonesian military. Again, a military that killed a million people. They took, they kicked him out because of his allegations of kidnapping and torture. Now, if that isn't an indicator of somebody who is guilty of these things, I don't know what is. The problem is that this kind of stuff is just kind of popular in Indonesia. Lots of people still hate the communists and still hate ethnic Chinese in exactly the same ways and for the same reasons that they did in the 1960s. And so, yeah, like this, this, this probably was an asset for him in running for the presidency. 
Finally, Pakistan has also held a new election. Their new government is going to be formed as a minority coalition against the majority winner, who was barred for participating despite being the most popular candidate. This person is a former leader of Pakistan and was a famous cricketer. He was barred from participating in the election, and even still, his party kind of won because of a write-in you know, campaign. But that wasn't enough. The new government is going to be formed without this coalition. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about Virgil Lee Griffin, a leader of the Ku Klux Klan in the United States, and probably the mastermind behind the Greensboro Massacre. Griffin was born in 1944 to a poor family in the United States South. He held various odd jobs throughout his life, allegedly picking cotton for some of that time. He ended up working at a gas station as a pump attendant and a kind of like shit mechanic, you know, somebody who isn't formally trained in mechanics, but who knows enough about cars that he can help fix your car a little bit. He ended up joining the Ku Klux Klan for the same reason that most poor white people did. Their racism, inspired by their social situation, and also economic resentment for what was happening to people in the 1960s, right? His family was not doing well and probably never was going to. Griffin is on record saying that he joined the Klan to prevent misogynation. Well, he didn't say the word misogynation. He said racial mixing. Misogynation is, you know, a $5 word. Misogynation means racial mixing. It means the, the, the mixing of two races of people via marriage or sex or childbirth. This is, of course, a, uh, a bullshit claim. Obviously, race is a social construct and should not be understood in this way, but this is how these racists think about it. Griffin moved on in his life and went from clan to clan group as he moved around the South. He rose in ranks and eventually became the Grand Dragon, a.k.a. the leader, of the North Carolina clan by the late 1970s. And that is how he enters history. Griffin was the leader of the clan in the state when the Communist Workers' Party, which was a Maoist splinter from the Communist Party of the United States, held a rally in Greensboro, North Carolina. They were operative in Greensboro, North Carolina, because at the time they were helping organize a primarily black textile industry in the region, and also because, you know, they're militant Marxists. They were trying to confront the right wing and specifically trying to confront the Klan, which they knew was operative in this area and was harassing black people and the primarily black workforce in this industry. That's why they picked this spot. The Communist Workers' Party was a mass party at the time. It was, you know, relatively big for leftist groups in the 70s. So bigger than most leftist groups are today, but smaller than some of the biggest ones that were in the United States and in the rest of the Western world at the time. The Klan knew about this particular rally that they were holding on November 3rd, 1979, and the Klan worked with their, you know, sort of sister organization, the American Nazi Party. Now, there had not been that much interaction prior to this between the American Nazi Party and the Klan, but they decided that they had a common enemy in communism. This is a particularly common perspective on the right wing, and it's something that, you know, we can't be surprised by if the Klan and other fascist organizations work together. 
So the KKK and the ANP, that's the American Nazi Party, show up to this rally with a bunch of guns. You know, all of these people have rifles, shotguns, pistols, etc. The CWP, the communists, were also armed, but far less extensively. You know, some of them had handguns. The fascists started shooting into the crowd, alleging that they had been accosted by the communists earlier, but video evidence is entirely to the contrary here. The fascists clearly showed up in order to kill, and they did kill five people. They killed three people who were students and organizers, both in the Northeast and in the South. They killed one person who was a pediatric doctor, who was there supporting his wife, who was a CWP member. He himself was not a member of the party. And finally, they killed another organizer in the CWP who was a former college professor, uh, specifically in health, who had left to organize textile workers specifically because of the terrible health conditions in the factories in Greensboro. He had worked his way up to be the president of their union. Additionally, the KKK and the American Nazi Party injured 11 other people. One Klansman was injured, although it remains unclear whether that was from guns fired by the CWP or friendly fire from the Klan and the Nazi Party. Now, Griffin was the leader of the Klan at this time, but he claims, and has claimed his entire life, that this was a, a you know, shots fired in self-defense, right? They claimed self-defense. The members of the Klan who could be taken to trial were taken to trial three times. Three separate criminal cases were brought against the Klan throughout the years. Not all of these involving Griffin, only some of them involving Griffin. And they resulted in zero convictions for the Klan or for the people who participated in the massacre. Nobody went to jail because of this. Five people dead, 12 injured, nobody went to jail. Eventually, a civil suit was brought with some compensation that, you know, resulted from their civil suit against the Klan, the American Nazi Party, and also the city of Greensboro, North Carolina, where it became pretty clear that the police were, if not in on this massacre, at least sympathetic to the Klan and the Nazis, which is, you know, no surprise. That's how the police work. Griffin remained in the Klan, scot-free, after this. He continued to participate in Klan-organized militant activity throughout the rest of his life. He eventually landed as the leader of the Cleveland Klan, eventually in Cleveland, Ohio. And he died, likely of complications from various heart conditions and other heart and health problems he was facing this week in history, February 11th, 2009. So, Virgil Lee Griffin, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon on patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. You can reach me at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H I S T of the right and fascism 15. Again, that's 15 spelled out. And I'm on blue sky at one five M I N S O F F A S C 15 minutes of fash. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you.